few decades ago, a man from Africa showed up at an international evangelism convention that was being put on by Billy Graham. This man was a Maasai warrior from Kenya. His name was Joseph. I couldn't find an actual picture of Joseph. This isn't him. But this is a Maasai warrior, so you maybe get a, an idea of who this Joseph is. Joseph had the chance to tell his story to some of the people at that convention. The story, as Joseph tells it, is one day he was walking along a hot, dusty African road when he met someone who shared the gospel message of Jesus with him. Then and there, the Holy Spirit worked faith in him. His heart was stirred by the message of what Jesus had done for him. And he was filled with so much excitement and joy that the first thing he wanted to do was, was run back to his village and tell the rest of the people in his tribe about this message of Jesus. So he, he went back. He, he went door to door telling everyone that the cross of Jesus was the way to, to be saved and be forgiven. He expected to see their faces light up the same way that his did when he heard the message. But to Joseph's amazement, when he told the people of his tribe this message, not only did they not care, they got violent toward him. The men of the village grabbed Joseph, took him outside, pinned him to the ground, and then the women of the tribe beat him with strands of barbed wire. They, they dragged him unconscious out of the village, left him to die alone out in the African bush. Joseph somehow survived. He, he crawled his way to a, a little watering hole, and after days of passing in and out of consciousness, finally he got the strength to get back up. He wondered why these people he'd known his whole life would treat him so violently. He figured, I, I must have left something out. I must have told the story of Jesus incorrectly. So he rehearsed that message again, the message he heard on that road. And then he went right back to that village again. Joseph limped into the circle of huts, and he started proclaiming Jesus again, saying, Jesus died for you, that you might have forgiveness of sins and come to know the living God. But again, the men grabbed him, held him down, and he was beat again, reopening wounds that had just begun to heal. They dragged him out unconscious out of the, the village again and left him out in the wilderness. It was amazing that Joseph survived the first beating. To survive this second beating was nothing short of a miracle. But again, Joseph woke up out in the wilderness, bruised, scarred, and determined to go back once more. Before we finish Joseph's story, we, we, we have to ask the question, why? What possessed Joseph to keep going back to that village and sharing that message, knowing what was likely going to happen to him? Why wouldn't he try to defend himself, or at least bring some kind of accusation against his tribe's people, saying, you're attempting murder here. Think about what you're doing. Why do you go back? Maybe, first of all, the, the reason Joseph went back to his village is 
because he loved the people of his tribe. He wanted them to share this hope of forgiveness found in Jesus. That was worth going back for. But another reason Joseph kept going back to preach the gospel in the face of abuse and pain is because that was part of his calling as a Christian. Joseph took on that calling probably without even knowing that he had the calling. In 1 Peter chapter 2 here, we, we are told that Christians are called to suffer injustice. Part of being a Christian means suffering justice for the sake of Jesus. It means suffering injustice the same way Jesus did. Patiently enduring injustice, though, there is some good news. Patiently enduring it is commendable in God's eyes. Peter said, it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. Now, this might seem a little illogical. Um, why should I have to suffer a beating if I don't deserve it? That's not fair. I mean, if I'm in the right, then how does that give somebody else the right to punish or abuse me? Yet, this is exactly what God tells us we are called to suffer through as Christians. Suffering injustice really is a, is a mark of Christian character. Now, Peter's bit about you know, how is it to your credit if you endure a beating for doing wrong? That makes a little more sense to us. No one's going to feel sorry for us if we got caught doing something wrong and then have to suffer the consequence for it. You can't wiggle out of that punishment. Think back to when you were a kid and you messed up. Maybe, if you were like me, you got a spanking. And you knew it was playing with fire to tell your parents, I don't care if you spank me, it doesn't hurt anyway. Big mistake. No one's going to feel bad for you. No one's going to be impressed that you're able to, to get through that spanking without being hurt. Least of all mom and dad. With that kind of attitude, don't expect to get any, any mercy when you do something wrong and have to suffer for it. The nice thing is, God does give even us sinners mercy we do wrong, unlike the world will give to us. But even then, we're not going to make it sound like God is commending us and applauding us for the fact that we do something wrong and have to suffer a consequence. But we will be commended by God if we suffer for doing good and endure it. To this, you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. We're called to imitate Christ, to follow in his footsteps of enduring injustice and persecution. It's God's calling for the Christian. So we don't really have to be surprised when we run into these types of things, when someone calls us out for being a Christian. Not that surprising. Peter, actually, in chapter 4 later on, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Seeing the way that Joseph was treated by his members of his tribe really isn't that surprising. 
persecution against Christians has been going on since the beginning. You don't need to be surprised that the sinful world is by nature hostile to God, hostile to the message of Jesus and his messengers. When we face persecution, it's not like this is some strange, out of the ordinary thing we had to go through. It's actually something that will be common to all Christians to at least some degree. God says that when we bear up under injustice, this is part of his plan for the Christian. We can expect this to happen at some point. Knowing this is our calling, knowing this is part of the plan, actually allows us to embrace suffering, see it as an experience tying us to Jesus. We can see that actually in a strange way, suffering injustice can be a comfort to the Christian. It's, it's a sign that we're on the right path, that we're following in the footsteps of Jesus, living our calling. And this must have been very comforting to the original audience that Peter was writing his letter, his letter to. In the 60s AD, persecution against Christians was pretty intense under the Roman Emperor Nero. In 64 AD, a great fire swept through Rome, and the person who likely started that fire was Emperor Nero himself. But he used the fire as an excuse to blame Christians, and he started to throw them into the, the Colosseum to be eaten by hungry lions, burn them at the stake, crucify them. Peter was writing to Christians who were likely going through this. Peter could tell them, I know how bad this injustice and suffering is you have to go through. Remember that this is tying you to Jesus. You can rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. See it as a, as a privilege. You're tied to your Savior in this way. You're following in his footsteps. I know it's tough. We are called to imitate Jesus, our Savior, too. Jesus is the supreme example of suffering evil for doing good. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. You want to talk injustice? Jesus suffered it. He never sinned. No deceit in his mouth. As he was standing on trial before the teachers of the law and the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, they asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the son of God? Jesus said, I am. That's about all he said. Jesus could have defended himself. He could have called down power from God, but he didn't. He suffered silently, innocently. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. What Jesus did in the face of persecution is what we are called to do. We copy him. Jesus is called our example here. That word example uh, really is referring to copying something down that has already been written. Jesus wrote the book, so to speak, on suffering injustice. We are to copy, to transcribe what Jesus did 
into our life. But why is it hard to imitate Christ? Not an easy call. We clearly fall short of imitating him the way we should. We have sinned. We do have deceit coming out of our mouth. We, we tend to threaten and retaliate people when they do the same to us. We start to see that the, the real challenge in this section from 1 Peter isn't just that we have to face injustice. The real dagger to our heart is that we have to face injustice the same way Jesus did, suffering patiently, innocently, lovingly. When we're faced with persecution, we tend to get all upset and bothered and, and think to ourselves, how dare they? How dare those people belittle me for my faith? How dare the government try to squelch my Christian rights? We, we get all up in arms when the world does what it has always done. Persecute Christians. God says, don't, don't be surprised when these things happen. And yet, we always want to retaliate and threaten. Or belittle people who belittle us. We kind of forget that the world will never want to abide by God's word. The unbelieving world never has. You can't force it to. Us complaining and making a big stink about it probably isn't going to help all that much in the end. Also, when we think of persecution, uh, sometimes I think it is hard to really say, well, we have horrible persecution here in, in America. I don't know if I really should try to compare our persecution with what's happening to some people in, in other places, very physical persecution. I know it looks like our culture is slowly kind of veering away from being Christian. Our, our nation's slowly losing that status of being a Christian nation. But even that, it's not like we're dealing with a government that throws Christians to lions in an arena. We aren't facing angry mobs that stone Christians to death like what happened to Stephen earlier in our reading. Well, for instance, we're not in a place like China. This, this picture, and you can see that cross is burning, it's about to be torn down by the government in China. This picture was taken August 25th, like less than two weeks ago. China's been undergoing persecution against Christians that's been worse than it has been since the end of the Cultural Revolution under Mao, the end of World War II. Sometimes we get really wrapped up in the little persecutions going on around us, and we fail to see how bad it really could be. Will the government here one day burn down Christian churches like it's happening in China? I don't know. I pray that never happens. If it does, just means we're going to have to take our, our calling to suffer injustice a little more seriously. Which again is really, really hard to do. We tend to want to take justice into our own hands. We think God should, should bring down punishment on those who persecute his church and the governments that burn churches instead of entrusting ourselves like Jesus to him who judges justly. We want to take justice into our own hands. We want justice against our persecutors now. Thank Jesus. There is a justice universal. 
we thank Jesus that he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. God could have, if he wanted to, strike down all the people who were sentencing Jesus to death. That's not what happened. Jesus, on trial, he, he could have said to his accusers, oh, you're going to pay for that later. You just watch. Jesus instead said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, suffering silently, innocently, had spoke much louder to everyone there than it would have, he would have just been retaliating. Jesus suffered all that injustice, all of God's justice against sin, so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus never sinned, he never threatened, he never retaliated, he kept his calling of suffering injustice perfectly. He did that so that he could hand you his perfect record. It belongs to you now. And the day that Jesus was killed, it looked like justice was being served incorrectly. God was bringing his justice of the law down on Jesus, punishing him, even though he didn't deserve it. Love, forgiveness, were served to sinful humans instead. Here's that justice reversal working all in our favor. Jesus considered it a joy to suffer that injustice on your behalf because he loves you. Because he wanted you with him in heaven. He wants you to experience forgiveness for your failed imitation of him. We can endure this injustice by entrusting ourselves to him who judges justly. We can entrust ourselves to God knowing he knows what we're suffering. He knows how to help us. We know that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus is so much more than just our example. He's our Savior. His wounds have healed you. Those sins of, of failed calling, failed imitation of Christ, they're gone. We have died to sins. Jesus put them to death with his body on the cross. We can and will entrust ourselves to him who judges justly because we know ultimately God will serve his justice to us in the best way. Our sufferings aren't lost on God. He sees them. He commends us for bearing up under them. Ultimately, Jesus was served the justice he deserved too. God saw his perfect work as the work of the Savior of the world. Jesus rose from the dead. Justice was served. And we get that same justice that Jesus got. We will rise too. We really we don't need justice against our persecutors right now. We, we've got justice coming. We'll be okay. It's our persecutors who don't have that luxury. Those who persecute us, they need the gospel. We can show that to them. We can forgive them the way that Jesus did as he suffered innocently silently as a witness. 
we entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. That's what Joseph did. Joseph entrusted himself to God. He put himself in God's hands. So Joseph, barely hanging on to life, his life hanging by a thread, weak from his wounds, went back to that village one last time. This time, the people of the village, they attacked him before he even got to open his mouth. And this time, as they were beating him for probably the last time, he still told them, Jesus forgives you. Before passing out, the last thing he saw is that the women beating him began to weep. Joseph woke up again, this time in his own bed. The people who had severely beaten him were now trying to save his life to nurse him back to health. The best part? Joseph's whole tribe had come to faith in Jesus. In a strange way, the wounds Joseph suffered, they brought healing from God to his people. He showed them what forgiveness can look like, what Jesus did for them. Even after the horrible things they did to him, they knew Jesus was their way to forgiveness. So, the most powerful statement we can make when we are persecuted isn't retaliating, kicking and screaming, but suffering silently, innocently like Jesus did. This is what wins people over. It's how Jesus won you over. Amen.